0: It's a great blessing for me to be with all of you on this very special solemnity on my own heart personally. Um, We all have our own Annunciation moments in our spiritual life. And for me personally, the passage of Annunciation has been the foundation of my journey in faith and my, my vocational journey as well. When I became Catholic, um, thanks be to God, after many years of waiting um, to become in full communion with the Roman Catholic Church, Cardinal Sean gave me the option to choose the date that I wanted to be received into the church. Um, it was a little bit different than you know other uh, lay people or adults when they go through RCIA um, because I was already a sister and, took a long time to get all the canonical permissions of moving as a professed sister from one rite to another. I couldn't become Catholic right away from Assyrian rite, which is my parents' church, because in between the Assyrian church and the Roman Catholic church, there is another rite, Eastern rite, that's in union with Rome, and that's called the Chaldean church. So first, I had to be received into the Chaldean church, and then from the Chaldean church to be received into the Roman Catholic church. So it was a little bit long canonical process, and especially being a professed sister. So that's why my reception into the church, it was not like with a group of people who usually go through the RCIA and there is a set date for them to be received into the church. Often it's around Easter vigil or Easter day. So when Cardinal Sean gave me the option to choose the feast, I chose September 8th, and I uh, mentioned to a lot of people I wanted my birthday in the church beyond the nativity of Mary because Mother Mary has been mother of my faith and mother of my vocation. Um, she has really mothered me and led me to be where I am today. And then on that feast, and same thing when I made my Vows in the Roman Catholic Church, I had to profess vows again because at that time, you know, I have left the Assyrian Church and my vows were to the bishop of the Assyrian Church. So when I made my vows again in the Assyrian Church as a diocesan sister, the cardinal also asked me to pick a date and the readings for the day. And I chose September 8th. I wanted Again, my vocational journey to be, again, on a Marian feast. For both events, September 8th and December 8th, I chose the passage of Annunciation. And then a few years later, when Cardinal Shan asked me to discern with him the possibility of staying in Boston and starting a new religious order in the United States, I don't know if anybody can imagine how terrifying that decision was, um, I didn't come to l- live in United States and stay in United States. I thought I came for school, um, and took me about two years and a half, almost three, to learn English. I came with zero English. I started; to get, they call it level A, uh, like just taking basic A, B, C, good morning, and moving you know, to other stage, stage B, stage C, and stage D levels. And then I had to take the TOEFL exam. Those of you are familiar with, it's a very old English test for any um, immigrant students who do not have a high school degree from the United States, even if they have college back at home, in order to pursue further studies in United States, they have to pass the TOEFL test, which is very, very tough. English test, and I learned that even for American-speaking people, the TOEFL test is a very tough, tough um, English test. So it took me about um, three years to learn English, and aside from then learning everything about the culture and the custom and the lifestyle, you know, being woman from Middle East is very different, you know, than you know being in America. So I really never imagined my life. You know, sometimes people ask me about my vocation. Um, there wasn't really a single day in my life that I kind of planned or I decided. You know, often, that's why I always chose the Annunciation for all the major steps in my life when I became Catholic, when I made my vows in the Roman Catholic Church, and even after we started this new community by the grace of God and help of Our Lady and St. Joseph, and I had to make vows again, but this time was according to the rules of the Daughters of Mary of Nazareth, which is the name of our community, I also chose the passage of Annunciation. Even though when I made my vows in this new community, um, it was December 1st, which is a feast of our patron, Blessed Charles de Foucault. So the readings were definitely not of the day, but I still chose the Annunciation. So this day is a very special day for me. And I'm happy to be here with all of you to share whatever the Holy Spirit will lead me and guide me throughout the evening, because I have always believed that everything in my journey, faith journey and vocational journey, uh, I owe it to the Blessed Mother. So it's very fitting for me to be with all of you to speak about this on this very special feast. Even when I received a letter from Mr. President to come here, I was given different dates, options to choose from, and the last one was March 25th. So I said, yes. <laughs> I will take March 25th, so I, here I am. I'm, I'm with you on this feast. Um, on my way here, I've never flown to this Dallas airport. I've been to Washington many, many times for a lot of meetings, conferences, so I always fly to Reagan Airport. But I was—I received the direction that this is closest airport, so I flew to that one. It's very big, um, but as I was making my way to the ground transportation level, I saw a picture of a child and a mother uh, making fingerprints on a cement, and that really struck me, you know, as I just like stared at that image of a mother and a child making fingerprints on a cement. And it says, what kind of print you would like to leave behind? And as I walked up here, I love St. Joseph, our convent is named after St. Joseph, and I noticed Jesus' fingers are broken. (laughs) Because one of the things I was going to share, how each one of us, are called to be Jesus fingers and in all seriousness truly when I saw that picture in the airport this image came to my mind how each one of us we can be the fingers of Jesus and literally his fingers are broken <laughs> you can come and check it up later but The reason I thought how each one of us can become fingers of Jesus. In recent years, at least for me, I remember when I first came to United States around 2002, I came in a very, very difficult time in the history of the Church of America, particularly in the Archdiocese of Boston. I came to Boston when the scandal broke and it was just devastating to people. At that time, what we knew in the Church of America, that Archdiocese of Boston has the largest cases of sexual abuse. And I came during that time very solid in thanks be to God, by the grace of God, in my faith foundation as We say it in the young people's language. As you know, I lived on campus for 10 years. I I love working with college students. I call them my kids, so I hope you don't mind. But we say that, you know, like, you know, being on fire for Jesus, being on fire for the Lord. So I came with that zeal, as we know from the scripture, zeal for your house consumes me. And then I came in a time where people were angry at the church and still are. People chose to leave the church and still are. Some of them choosing the same path now almost 15 years later. I came in that time and pursuing to become Catholic. I became Catholic in 2005 in a diocese that was so broken by abuse. And then in that same diocese, four years later, the bishop invited me to discern, to start a new community in Boston, the same diocese that has been broken by the darkness of the sexual abuse scandal. It was not an easy discernment. To start the religious order, it's not like starting a, a, a club on campus. It's not that at all. You know, I often tell my daughters in the community, every morning when I get up, I tremble before the throne of God in the blessed sacrament. And I beg him for the grace that I will be faithful to whatever he asks me, that I will be a faithful servant, a faithful sister, and a faithful mother to these women who come to our community. And I tell them, I tremble before that, before the Lord for this, because I don't think we are in need of just a new community. America has been blessed by so many religious orders. Religious sisters and brothers and priests, they were the pioneers of so many good things that happened in the history of America from education to healthcare to social work, you name it. Read the history of American saints. Mother Caprini, Mother Elizabeth Ann Seton, the North American martyrs, they built the Church of America and many more. It's not about needing a new community, but it's more about the fingerprint how to be the fingers of Jesus. Every new community, like every new college, exists based on the needs of the local church. 40 years or so when your college was starting, it was because there was a need for a solid Catholic academic environment for young people of America. And I would say the same for us religious. Today, more than ever, there is a need for that authentic witness to consecrated life. But I would have not been able to discern this if I was not already in the church. And I don't mean just a canonical status that I became in full communion with the church. But I was able to see the wounds of the church because I was inside the home of the church. I am one of you, I am one of the people of Boston. I am in the church, I am um, on the ground in parishes all the ministries of the Archdiocese of Boston, not just in the headquarter of the Archdiocese of Boston, but all the parishes, whether small churches, bigger churches, schools, campuses. I go to a lot of schools, from elementary to colleges in Boston. I am in the church. When you are with your family, like really, really with your family, not just living under the same roof, when you are really with your family, you get to know the needs of your family. You get to know the good and the bad. You get to know what this family needs. In the last few years, and even more so since last summer, since the scandal broke more, because of some even higher scandal than what we knew in 2002. It's easy to sit and plan, you know, these days you can create a page on Facebook and become a club, correct? You can can do that so easy. People create petitions online, people create pages online. The technology, the, the new New Age technology and social um, network. It has many benefits, yes, but it has its own challenges as well. So we hear often people say, the church needs this. Maybe we should do more evangelization. Maybe we should do more of this. Maybe we should be out doing this. Maybe we should uh, change the music style at mass. Maybe, maybe, maybe. You fill the blank. I'm sure you have heard many of these suggestions and maybe some even cross your own mind. But I always tell people we cannot help our family if if we are not in the family. Not be outside and pointing fingers. So-and-so has to change this and -and so-and-so has to do this. So... We can help, we can be fingers of Jesus, but we have to stay in the church, no matter how broken our church is. A lot of people didn't understand my decision of becoming Catholic in Boston, in the middle of the the ugliness of that scandal. Cardinal Law had just resigned, Cardinal Sean came meeting with all the victims trying just to understand and grasp what the scandal did to the Church of Boston. And in midst of that, I chose to become Catholic. I remember even somebody sent me a book to read. It was not a good book about the Catholic Church. It came to me by, in the mail. And I send it back to the same person. I knew that person. I sent it back by the mail also. I said, I chose not to read it. Not because I want to be ignorant. But for me, it doesn't matter. I am not becoming in union with the Roman Catholic Church because it's the perfect church. My church, just like any other churches, made of human beings and some have made big mistakes and commit even sins toward the children of God in the church. But the church is not the priests who abuse children or the bishops or cardinals like we knew since last summer here or those who covered up, you name it. You are all young people in academic field. You know how to read news, where to find news. You know everything that's out there. The church is much bigger than all the pain that we have seen. I remember in 2009, I was invited to give my witness, like really, like A to Z. And it was big discernment for me to speak about my childhood, my parents. I grew up in a very broken home and, 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 and broken childhood. And then about my faith journey and everything. And I really, had, I was on campus at that time and I had my major commitment to the students. I was full-time campus minister. so. Mm-hmm. I said to this organization that they invited me to speak and I said, I really cannot leave the campus this weekend because we have the graduate weekend retreat. And they said, please, mother, we really need you to come. Just come. We'll pick whatever time that works with your schedule on campus. So finally, after going back and forth, back and forth, I gave them the only time that works for me. They said, that's perfect. We'll put all other speakers before and after just so we can fit the time that works for you. When I got there and I gave the witness, I didn't know it was recorded for a TV, live on TV, Boston Catholic TV. So next morning, I went back to my office on campus, and the secretary said to me, she said, Mother, we keep getting a phone call from... A person but we cannot really understand what he's trying to say either he's emotional or he's elderly we really cannot figure out and he keeps calling every 15 minutes and we are telling him she's not here yet she's not here yet so I said it's okay when he calls even if I'm in a meeting please interrupt me I want to just see what is his story and sure enough a little bit later he called can I go down is that okay with the camera it won't affect if I go down, thank you. <laughs> I have to obey. So I picked up the phone when this gentleman called again. And it was an older gentleman, and he said to me,, um, "I am in a hospice at home, but under hospice care, and I have very little time left." And he said, my cousin was visiting me, and he turned the TV on. And he was just flipping through channels. And this Boston Catholic TV came. And I said to him, oh, turn it off. I don't want to see anything that's Catholic. And then he said, I just saw this little blue nun on TV. And I said, I never seen this habit before. And then he asked me, do you want to see who she is? So he kept it for a couple minutes. And then he said, then I was intrigued by the accent. I said, she's not American. I wonder where she is from. Let's keep it a little bit more. And a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. He ended up listening to the whole story. And he said, after you finished, he said, I couldn't help but cry. And he said, 50 years ago, I was abused as a teenager by a priest, a priest that I thought he was like a father figure to me because my parents were divorced. And he said, for three years, I suffered from that abuse. And since then, my life, it's been from one darkness to another. He got married three times. And the marriage never survived because he was so broken from inside. And he said, it's been more than 50 years since I left the church. I couldn't be part of something that destroyed my life. And he said, now I am battling cancer and I have very little time left. When I listen to your story and how much you suffered for your faith, from losing your family, being disowned by your parents for this faith. He said, you taught me one thing, that the church is bigger than my wounds. The church is bigger than my wounds. I was crying on the other side of the phone as he was sharing with me. And then he said to me, will you help me die Catholic? It was one of the most moving experiences in my life and I've seen so much in the 50 years of my life. As you heard from Mr. President, from serving through four wars, many of wars, and even now in Boston, the things that I, I see through ministry, but helping that man come back to receive the sacrament The day that he received communion, after more than 50 years, I felt I was holding a very sick child receiving first communion for the first time. He died in union with the church. The church is bigger than my wounds. The church is bigger than you and I. The church is bigger than the scandal. And please don't take me wrong. I am not dismissing the pain that the children of God have seen because of scandal. I work with victims. I know what abuse has done to some of the souls. I know it firsthand. And I work with priests as well who are no longer in ministry because of that. So I am in the church. I am in the heart of the church. I've seen the beauty of the mother church. And I've seen what our broken humanity can do in the heart of the church. And that includes all of us. Some in bigger role than others. We have to be in the church in order to be able to help. The church, often we hear it's you and I, all of us, but at the same time, you have to remember the church doesn't belong to you or me. We are in it, we are part of it, we are part of this family, but none of us owns the church. Not even a bishop or a cardinal. In the gospel of Matthew, I think it's chapter 16, when Jesus was asking the disciples, what people say that I am, and they listed what they thought people say, and then he looked at them and he said, but what do you say? What do you say? And it was then that Peter said, you are the son of the living God. And Peter, Jesus said to Peter, it's not flesh and blood that made you say this, but it's the power and the grace of my father. And then Jesus said to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build the church. I want you to focus on this phrase. When Jesus said, Peter, on this rock, I will build the church. It is Jesus who builds the church. And he entrusted the mission of the church to Peter. And when he said, on this rock, the rock is not a person. The rock is the truth that Peter said, you are son of the living God. On the truth, Jesus builds his church. On this rock, the truth that he is son of the living God, I will build the church. Peter was only the hands of Jesus and all the other disciples as well, just like you and I today are called to be the fingers of Jesus. Peter left his own fingerprint on the mission of the church when he became the first pope, and all the other disciples the same. And who will be next from this room? from this campus to do the same. The church is Jesus Christ's church. I will build my church. And not all the doors of hell will ever prevail over the church. I know you do have a program you go and study in Rome. You cannot help it when you go to Rome and even Whatever you get to visit while you are in Rome, whether Assisi or Siena or Monte Cassino, we have saints all the way from the first century. You go to the catacomb, you visit St. Sebastian and all the other martyrs of the early church. For 2,000 years, the church as St. Paul said is the same of yesterday, today, and forever because Jesus builds his church. It's the same Jesus, the same church of yesterday, today, and forever. But it depends on us how to stay in the church and be with the church in order to be for the church. These days in America, I'm sure you know this, we hear a lot of terminologies around about the church Some, they say, oh, this church is very conservative. This parish is liberal. This priest is conservative. This sister is liberal. I'm sure you all have heard these things, correct? How many of you have heard this? Almost 80%, 90% you have heard these phrases. My brothers and sisters, we should refuse these titles in the church. I always say the church shouldn't be, and I want you to hear it clearly because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm trying to say. The church definitely shouldn't be liberal nor conservative in a political sense. The church has to be traditional because we are people of a tradition the tradition that was handed by Jesus Christ to the apostles. When we allow these terminologies to come into the church, sometimes divides the same family members because we think the church is about political views or social agenda, and it's not. Jesus built his church on a tradition that was handed to the apostles on the day of Pentecost. I often say, you probably have heard people use the term that Jesus, the church's birthday is the Pentecost. In my own personal reflection, I say the birthday of the church is Good Friday. Because on that day, and I know you have a strong devotion to the Sacred Heart in this campus, On that day, when Jesus' heart was pierced, blood and water gushed from the heart of Jesus, and our humanity was washed and cleansed. And on that day, we sinners became children of God. On that day, the church was instituted by the precious blood of Jesus, by the precious water that fled from the heart of Jesus. The church was born from the heart of Jesus, but the church became a missionary church on Pentecost when they received the Holy Spirit and they went out to proclaim the good news. The church was already born from the pierced heart of Jesus at the foot of the cross That is when the church was born, but we became a missionary church when the apostles received the Holy Spirit and went out to proclaim the good news. We shouldn't, as a church, we should not be influenced by any political views or vocabularies. We are called to be the church of the precious blood of Jesus, of the pierced heart of Jesus, the church built by Jesus and sent out by the Holy Spirit. Not liberal, not conservative, but traditional. Built on the foundation of the tradition, the rich tradition of the Roman Catholic Church. One thing I teach my own daughters, a wisdom that I heard from a bishop who is retired now, very holy bishop. He said to me when I was discerning about this community, he said, Mother, try never be wider than the church or narrower than the church. Stay with the church. Sometime we try in America to be very creative and we want everybody to be welcomed. And yes, it's true, we want but what that means, you see what I mean? We want a wider church. And then we blame Pope Francis. We said, but Pope Francis wants the church to be like this. Don't make don't be wider than the church or narrower than the church. Be with the church. I assure you, my brothers and sisters, if Each one of us, and through you, who are the fingers of Jesus, he made it clear he wants you to be his fingers because he doesn't have his fingers here. (laughs) As you go out and be the fingers of Jesus, be in the church and with the church. And only then, really, my brothers and sisters, discernment is not very difficult. We make it complicated because we are distracted. But discernment, what to do for the church, what to be for the church, it will become very easy. When we stay in the church and we are with the church, you will come to see the needs of the church. I was sharing with Mr. President during dinner when in 2009 Cardinal Sean asked me to discern, to stay in Boston, you know what, did, what, did, what I did first thing after obviously prayer and discernment? I studied the history of the Church of America, the Catholic Church of America. I visited as much as possible the saints of America. I visited the tomb of Mother Caprini, Mother Elizabeth Ann Seton, the North American martyrs, Father Solanus Casey, at that time he was not beatified. But I wanted to immerse myself in the history of the Catholic Church of America. In order for me to be a daughter of this land, a daughter of this church, I wanted to see where my church is and what are the needs of my church. How can I be for the church? And it was a time that yes, people were angry, people were leaving the church. And I wanted to start a community, authentic, traditional community that shows people that the church is beautiful. Yes, wounded, I'm not naive to the wound of the church, but it's still beautiful. We follow the spirituality of Nazareth, because I felt there is a need to go back to Nazareth. In America, I felt in my own discernment, there is a need to go back to Nazareth. Nazareth is a place of incarnation. Nazareth, where the conception happened, today is feast. Nazareth is where Jesus lived for 30 years of his humanity on earth. Nazareth is so important for our faith, where God became human and dwelt among us. I wanted to take Jesus out for people to see the beauty of the church. We serve in prisons. Yesterday, I was sharing with some people earlier, one of the experiences I had yesterday of serving at the addiction rehab center. This particular rehab center where we serve, it's not a regular detox program, but it's a center for men who are sanctioned against their will to be in that treatment. And first, I start going there and being in Boston where we have a lot of Irish, Italian, very strong diocese used to be the fourth largest diocese in the country. So those men who are suffering from addiction and broken lives, broken relationships, you will be surprised how many of them are Catholics. But first, I go there to help everybody. I give talks on hope, persevering, surrender, reliance on God, forgiveness, mercy. And then after that, I do Bible study for all the Christian men. And then after that, I meet with the Catholics to prepare them for sacraments, especially confession, and for them to be able to receive communion. I've seen miracles in those places, heart-wrenching stories what addiction has done in the heart of young people today. But it was first time for them seeing a religious sister at addiction rehab center. And I assure you, it's not an easy place to be. But every time I go, I know I'm not alone. Like even yesterday, I was there for about three hours. I truly felt it was not me. The things that were happening to those young men, gentlemen here, you all know, it's not easy for men to cry. But I believe it was the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus walked into that room, in the blessed sacrament, watching them on their knees, crying. That is the face of the church. The church loves all the way to the end. I get up every day. I don't know what to expect in my day, because that is the life of Nazareth. Mother Mary and Jesus and Joseph were available to all what the Father willed for Jesus in those 30 years in Nazareth. I go to hospice homes, prison, rehab facilities, shelter for pregnant moms, meeting with seminarians, helping victims of abuse. I do anything for the church. You know why? Because I am in the church and I am with the church and I will do anything for the church. You know, in in our culture, we are so career oriented and we are so doers. Often when I meet people, the first two questions they ask me when they know that I am a part of a new community. How many you are and what do you do? Always these two questions. Very rare people ask me, what is your spirituality? Who is your patron saint? What is your charism? How is your prayer schedule? It's always how many you are and what do you do? We focus on number and doing. And you know, the truth is, I wish if I have time, sometimes these questions, they come like passing, you know? If I am in line in a cafeteria or in the train, you know, just going from one part of Boston to another, I wish if I have time to explain to people why I do what I do. It's not that I don't like structure. It's easy to be a teaching order of sisters and it's beautiful to run Catholic schools and are needed in this country today. And it's easy to open a hospital or a nursing home or um, a medical center and just focus on that. And trust me, I know that is needed too. But in my discernment, where we are in America and in Boston as a new community, I really feel that there are so many wounds in the church in so many places. I was sharing with somebody just addiction itself. I do get statistic every year reports how many lives we are losing to the darkness of addiction. And I'm sure you yourself know somebody who knows somebody who has been trapped in this darkness of addiction. Many lives and homes are destroyed. I was reading some reports the other day just from the year of 2000 to 2017, only in Massachusetts, we had about 16,000 deaths, and the cause is overdose. I have been to funerals of so many young lives lost to addiction, more than I have ever imagined in my life, I will see. These families need to know the church is close to them. One day I met a woman at one of the parishes. She was, after mass, crying in the corner. So I approached her just to see if she was okay, and if there is anything I can do for her. After I sat next to her and we spoke for a few minutes, and she said to me, last year, her son died from overdose. So I gave her a hug and I continued to listen to her. And then she said to me, but I didn't have funeral for him, mother. And I said, why? You didn't want to have a funeral in the church? And she said, oh no, I was embarrassed to tell father and people that my son died from overdose. So I just cremated his body and I kept it in my living room. For a year, poor this mother. She even didn't have a chance to grieve normally because she's afraid to tell people that her son died from overdose. She never had a barrier for him or a funeral. These are the people who are hurting in the church today. So I encourage you as you pursue your education in this great institute of renewing all things in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ. I want you to think how big the church is. The church is bigger than our wounds. The church is bigger than our limitations, and the church needs us to be the fingers of Jesus. The same Jesus of yesterday, today, and forever, who promised the apostles that I will build the church. I have great hope, trust me. With all the darkness that I've seen, I am full of hope and full of joy. When I go to the rehab, when I go to the prison, I pray with the prayer of the little flower, St. Therese, when she said, if I spend my whole life as a prisoner in Carmel, which was a cloister, very strict cloister community, to save one soul for Jesus, my life and my vocation is worth it if it was for one soul for Jesus. I remember picking up a homeless man who passed out because of his addiction. And I called the headline for recovery and they said they cannot do anything for him before detox. I took him to the emergency room and I had to call 22 detox programs in Massachusetts, in Springfield, in Rhode Island. I was willing to drive him anywhere to get him clean so I can take him to a recovery program. And it was fall and winter and rainy. I remember one of the priests called asking for me at the convent and the sisters told him, I am still with this gentleman, try to find him a place. Every place I called, they said, we don't have a bed. They were booked. And father said to me, mother, just come back. Come back. How long are you going to try? You're going to take him one place, and after two weeks, he's back on the street with his bottle or with his drugs. How long are you going to try? And I listened and listened to him on the phone. And I said, father, as long as I remember, that Saul became Paul, I cannot give up on him. As long as I remember Saul became Paul, you know that from scripture, I cannot give up hope. I cannot. So I came to share with you today from my heart. Love the church, I know you do, but love her even more and more and more. The church needs each one of us, professors, faculty members, employees, staff, even the cook, the housekeepers, those who keep the ground of campus, everybody, every student, wherever you go, whatever you do, just please stay in the church, with the church, and for the church, because Jesus needs your fingerprint. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Mother of Hope, pray for us. Mary, Mother of the Church, St. Joseph, Protector of the Church, pray for us. Amen. In the name of Father and of Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, and God bless you. Thank you.